Have you ever been in a situation where someone made a request of you that you felt was a little out of line? Say they asked to borrow your car and you don't know them that well, but you didn't want to seem stingy and so you let them borrow it anyway. That feeling when someone asks something of you and you feel not exactly obligated to say yes, but embarrassed to say no, what do you call that feeling? Well, in Plutarch's day, they had a word for it in Greek, dysopia. Plutarch in one place defines it as defeat at the hands of the shamelessly insistent. And in fact, he would argue it's a vice. Anyone who attains serious prominence in life is going to be faced with this temptation a lot. This is something that the great men of history that we profile in this podcast had to deal with a lot. Plutarch praises Brutus, for example. He wrote a biography of Brutus, Caesar's friend and then his assassin. And he describes Brutus as someone who, quote, no flattery could induce to grant an unjust petition. And that inability to withstand shameless importunity, shameless requests, which some call dysopia, he regarded as most disgraceful in a great man. And he was wont to say, he was accustomed to say, that those who were unable to refuse anything, in his opinion, must have been corrupted in their youth. End quote. Wow. Well, so it's a pretty serious vice in the eyes of Plutarch and many. So you get this a lot if you're in a position of influence and you know, people have a lot that they could ask of you, but it's also something that someone from any walk of life can experience. You know, everyone gets unreasonable requests and feels kind of guilted into doing things that they maybe shouldn't be doing. Well, Plutarch actually wrote a whole essay on dysopia, and I think it's really insightful, and it's also kind of funny thinking about all of these ancient Greco-Roman gentlemen cringing at the requests of annoying petulant people. But the essay also gives some very useful advice because, you know, a lot of times you can get guilted or manipulated into requests that you really shouldn't give into. And this is, I think, really relevant for a lot of our lives. This essay can help you feel good about turning people down because that's part of virtue. And I also know that this is something that I could get better at. So while I'm working on the life of Pompey, and I'm actually going to do a highlights series on Lucullus coming very soon before that. While I'm working on this other stuff, I wanted to share with you a few quick highlights and stories from this essay on dysopia that I found valuable. It's also called On Compliancy. Dysopia, that's one possible translation of dysopia, compliancy. It's also translated sometimes, the treatise that is, On Not Letting Ourselves Be Bullied. So it'll be a short episode today. Before we get into it, though, just a heads up. We'll be opening up applications for our 2024 Men's Leadership Retreat in July, which is next summer, later this week. And I'll be sending out an announcement via our email list. So if you're not signed up for that, please go do that at ancientlifecoach.com. But let's get into it. So Plutarch begins this essay with some etymology. Dysopia comes from dis the same dis that you find in dysentery, a prefix that means bad, and also the word ope, or the root ope in Greek, which means face, especially the eyes. 
So dysopia is a kind of bad face. It's a feeling of badness in the face. And this makes sense. When someone makes a request of you, it kind of disfigures your face a bit, especially if you're not good at hiding it. It's, it's that cringing feeling that you get. You feel it maybe around the edges of your face, maybe kind of in the eyes. And I think that the semi-slang contemporary word cringe really captures it. It's, it's kind of like someone telling a bad joke and then they look at you and you feel this uncomfortable pressure to laugh even though the joke really doesn't deserve it. I think that's a form of dysopia, actually. Plutarch gives a little example of what he means here, the etymological connection. The compliant man, he says, betrays only too clearly in his countenance, in his face, the effeminacy and flabbiness of his spirit as he gives his surrender to the shameless, the fair name of modesty. So not only does it disfigure our face, but we also tend to call it nice names that it doesn't deserve. And he says you could substitute modesty here for generosity or friendliness or civility. Maybe we'd add magnanimity or humility, whatever. People put a nice name on it. But, you know, sometimes you need to not just put a nice name on it. You need to say no. And Plutarch gives some examples. And there's many examples throughout the essay. It's one of its strengths. Here's a good one. From myth, if you've ever heard the story of Medea, the sorceress that Jason met at the destination point of his quest for the Golden Fleece, it's a story for another day. But in that story, um, at the end of that story, Jason takes Medea back to Thessaly and he makes her his bride. And eventually they kind of quarrel and he decides to marry another woman. And the father of the woman he's about to marry is a king named Creon. And Plutarch says, well, Creon in the story, and he's talking about a play of Euripides, Creon, you know, he's about to have his daughter marry Jason. And Medea has been saying all of these kind of nasty things. And he thinks it's time to get rid of this crazy sorceress lady. So he decides to banish her from the kingdom. But Medea implores him. She begs him, oh, take mercy upon us. Give us one more day. And Creon doesn't really trust her, but he gives her the day anyway. It's dysopia. He yields to the importunate petitions of this sorceress lady, Medea. And as a result, Medea poisons Creon's daughter, kills her, and basically ruins the man's life. I think Creon dies in that story too, now that I remember it. So terrible consequences sometimes of dysopia can be very high stakes. He gives another example from history, the, the statesman Dion of Syracuse, who was a friend of Plato, one of the biographies that we'll get to Dion at some point very soon, I hope. Well, he was afraid to take precautions against his friend Callippus because even though he got some warnings about Callippus, who was his friend, you know, that he's plotting against him, Dion yielded to people who were saying, Oh, Dion, don't put Calippus under guard. He's your friend. Maybe Calippus was requesting that himself. You don't want to be a bad friend, do you? And as a result, Calippus assassinated Dion and seized power from him. He was the kind of de facto monarch of Syracuse, let's say, at that point. So obviously, dysopia can have huge bad consequences. 
Maybe in our own personal lives, you can lend some money to someone that you shouldn't because you don't want to seem ungenerous or, you, you know, you say, ah, it's an investment. But then you lose the money and when your family needs it, it's not there. That's dysopia at work. And this lending money thing, you know, lending to those who probably will never repay, you know, lending to somebody high risk who's maybe a friend. This is an example that Plutarch brings up again and again throughout the essay. And it sort of makes you think that he may have struggled with this and made that mistake, that mistake in particular. That's a very painful mistake to make. So I thought that was interesting. But so Plutarch proposes, here's a good way that you can start training yourself against dysopia, against compliancy. Begin to harden yourself by saying no to tiny requests that don't seem like they matter. And here's how he explains. Thus a man drinks to you at dinner when you've had enough. Do not yield or force yourself to comply, but set the cup down. That's one that hits home for me. Moving on, another again invites you to play dice over the wine. Do not yield or let his scoffing daunt you, but like Xenophanes, who's a famous philosopher, when Lassus of Hermione called him a coward for not wanting to throw the dice with him, confess in your turn that you are a great coward indeed and too faint-hearted to risk disgrace. So playing dice was sort of a disreputable thing to do in those days. But even so, it doesn't seem that serious, right? Like these things, drinking another gulp of wine, they seem so trivial, right? And Plutarch gives another example of when a guy starts talking to you and you need to get away, but you let him keep talking. Well, that's a good opportunity to practice your discipline of training yourself against dysopia. And here's his reasoning, quote, For what will you do in great affairs in the presence of a king? Maybe we'd substitute there in the presence of a billionaire. Or when the assembled people put you out of countenance, if you lack the strength to reject a cup held out to you by a friend or to escape the clutches of a boar, but allow a driveler to have his way with you because you lack the firmness to say, I'll see you another time. Right now I am busy. End quote. So a lot of examples there. You know, we can experience dysopia from people who are our social inferiors, our social equals, or our social betters, like the king example that he cites. Any kind of pressure that people put on us to compromise our principles or our best interests by appealing to our sense of shame or our desire to be nice or liked and that's a, that's a way that we can practice it by just finding these little situations where we think it doesn't matter. And it, it's, it's precisely in those little situations that you kind of train this habit of giving in to requests that seem maybe not reasonable, but that it would seem unreasonable to make a big deal out of because they seem so small. Well, those are precisely the places that we can train ourselves, Plutarch says. Now, in, in whatever case we need to turn down a request, say no to somebody. If you really need to, it's okay to seem a little rude, especially if someone is effectively being rude in a nice way by imposing upon you with something that compromises your principles or is sort of a request that they have no grounds to make. Well, 
Plutarch would say it's better to be blunt than to give in. And, you know, if you can't think of something nice to say at the time, you could just say, you know, I'm terribly sorry. I don't mean to seem rude, but I have to go. Or, you know, I'm really sorry. I just don't do that, but I wish you the best of luck. So you can just say no and just kind of have a stock response. But Plutarch illustrates with many examples, it's best and most effective if you can say something to kind of explain why you're saying no. Or if you can find something witty to say in the moment. And he gives a few examples. So here's one that I liked. King Antigonus was once asked by a cynic for a drachma. Cynics were philosophers who took a vow of poverty. And so, you know, you often find them begging great men for minor things, like the cynic, you know, asking for a drachma. It's almost a way of trolling a great man to ask him for something small. A drachma is not a lot of money. And so, you know, Antigonus responds to the cynic, kings do not give so little. And then the cynic replies, all right, give me a talent then. And then Antigonus doesn't miss a beat and he says, nor do cynics take so much. So humor and wit is a nice way to decline a polite request and kind of save face. But Plutarch gives a few more cases of how dysopia can happen to us that I want to read for you here that I like. So check these out. When an illness, for example, we do not call in the expert in the disease fearing to offend our family practitioner. It's kind of relatable. Or when to instruct our children, we choose not those who are competent, but those who beg for the employment. Or when in a lawsuit, we do not commit our case to one who can help us from his familiarity with the courts. But in order to oblige a friend's or a kinsman's son, we allow him to practice declamation at our expense. And then here's my favorite. And when to crown it all, we can see so many so-called philanthropists who are Epicureans or Stoics, not from choice or judgment, but because they acceded to importunate relations or friends. End quote. I, I love this. Plutarch is a Platonist, so he's not an Epicurean or a Stoic. He sort of sees them as second best philosophies. You know, he says, you can even be guilted into accepting a bad philosophy, or maybe not bad, but, you know, a second best philosophy, because some friend or family member, you know, invites you to a reading group on fill in the blank, you know, whether it's Foucault or Ayn Rand or Nietzsche, whatever you think is second best. That really does happen, doesn't it? That's dysopia, says Plutarch. And he gives a second strategy to, to fortify ourselves against dysopia, against compliancy. And that is to build up a library of examples that you can use either to tell yourself or to quote at somebody else. We must have, he says, a readiness in stock of sayings of illustrious and virtuous men and quote them to the importunate as Phocians reply to Antipater. Phocian is a character we'll meet soon. Phocian said, quote, to Antipater, you cannot have me as both your friend and your flatterer. I like that one. You can't have me as both your friend and your flatterer. You could say, do you want me to be your friend or do you want me to be your flatterer? Maybe pose it as a question that sort of 
help people realize. Sometimes people don't really realize the demand that they're making of you. And I think that's one way to, to, to turn people down, to explain to them what the cost is that they're actually imposing upon you. So that's a good reason that you should be keeping a commonplace book, though, what Plutarch just said, you know, have a library of quotes and examples that you can use. And you can add to it stories that you want to memorize so that you can deploy them during the day when these issues come up. And here's another story that you could add to it. Plutarch gives an example from the life of Cato the Younger when he was in his early career. And he says of this example, this may be going a little bit too far, but it's worth considering what Cato did. And here's what he did. Quote, Catullus, of all the Romans, the most highly regarded... This is the son of the Catalyst who was Marius's rival that Marius had executed in his takeover of Rome. Uh, but the prominent Catalyst who was a contemporary of Crassus and Pompey and was actually a friend of Catiline's. Well, going on, Catalyst, of all the Romans the most highly regarded, held the office of censor at the time. He had gone up to see Cato, who was in charge of the public treasury, to intercede for one of the persons that Cato had fined and urged his appeal with great insistence. Cato at last lost patience, and he said, It is unseemly, Catullus, that you, the censor, since you won't take yourself off, should be thrown out by my staff. So Cato's basically threatening to have security called. And Catullus was abashed and left in anger. End quote. So Plutarch is not sure that he would recommend that example being so blunt, but it's really a striking example of rejecting dysopia. But think about it. What would you do? Would you, if you were some low-ranking person in the accounting department and a senior officer of the company comes up to you and asks you to, you know, nudge the numbers a little bit, massage it for the shareholders' report? Well, you know, you could use your judgment, um, but think of, you know, if you're in a situation where dysopia is threatening to soften you, to make you flabby and effeminate, as Plutarch would say, well, Cato is a spirit that you can kind of conjure before your eyes. You know, do you really need that, that no way I'm not going to budge spirit? You can Put him like a little angel on your shoulder, whispering into your ear, hell no, hell no, hell no. That's a, a way you can fight off dysopia, kind of summoning that, that ethos of Cato. And once you have that resolution inside, well, maybe you don't express it with an actual hell no, but you find the most polite way that you can turn down the request. But, you know, you, you start with a firmness inside yourself. And that requires a certain opinion of yourself. It requires a certain self-esteem. Often this is how we get into these situations where we feel that we don't have the right to turn down unreasonable requests because maybe we feel at the particular moment that our time and our money aren't necessarily consciously devoted to something important enough at the exact time that we get asked. Well, if you've ever felt that your time or your money aren't as valuable as that of others. Maybe it's time to bite off more and determine to chew it. Find something important if you don't have it already and find it quickly. 
chances are you've already got people counting on you. And if they're not counting on you now, they will be counting on you in the future. See to it. Well, that's all for today. If you want to find the text, see the link in the show notes or do a Google search for Plutarch on compliancy. It might also come up as on not letting ourselves be bullied. The Latin translation is de vitioso pudore, which is, in other words, on the sort of shame that is a vice. Thanks for listening. Stay strong. Stay ancient. This is Alex Petkus. Till next time.